And welcome everyone to another exciting episode of the Tomahawk Take podcast. I am Jake Mastriani, co-editor of Tomahawk Take, and joining me as always is my fellow uh, co-editor Alan Carpenter, as Hello. well as uh, one of our uh, longtime writers, Fred Owens. Howdy. Um, and this week we have an extra guest uh, with us in Clint Manry, who is uh, who mostly covers the minor leagues and prospects for us here at tomahawk take and we brought him on this week for that very reason because he just recently released his list of the 30 best prospects in the braves organization so we're here to grill him about those uh decisions and those selections hopefully have a a good conversation about the the braves prospect and the farm system as a whole but uh, before we get in that we can't have a podcast without talking about josh donaldson this offseason so uh, we'll go ahead and get that out of the way first, and then I promise the rest of the podcast will be strictly talking about prospects. So, Alan, I know you posted an article earlier today talking about some of the holdup and what it could mean, and if the Twins are involved again, and uh, what it could mean for Arenado. So I'll let you start and go ahead and give us your thoughts on what's going on with Donaldson right now. Sure thing. It's it's a few takeaways from just guesses I'm making based on the things I'm seeing in the industry that have been published. Mark Bowman came out with something that suggested that uh, perhaps the Braves and Donaldson were quite a distance apart. And that comes after the revelation that he's been asking for up to $110 million. My suspicion then is that the Braves are not at $100 million. The Twins are not at $100 million. The Nationals may have been at $100 million. That seems to have been confirmed, but it's almost a sure bet that they're asking for deferred money as part of that deal. And my suspicion is that Donaldson's poo-pooing that one in particular. But what that means is he's not moving because he's not getting anything near what he's expecting. And so far, nobody's coming up to that kind of level. And the result is that we have to start thinking, well, do the Braves have another option that they want to go for at that kind of dollar level? The dollar level that he wants being about $27.5 million a year. If they could possibly get the Rockies to come down to that neighborhood with Nolan Arenado, and frankly, I think that's going to be very difficult for a number of reasons on his contract, as well as the fact that they're, they'd be asking for 30 to $40 million to get that done. Then my musings were about, well, is Arenado really worth it at that kind of level even? And the answer I came up with was, it's too risky to tell. The fact that his splits home and away are significant means that you don't know what you're necessarily going to get in terms of offensive production. You do know about defense. You think you, you would think that given the fact that he's one of the best, if not the best third baseman defense-wise on the planet, that sh- should certainly bode well for his defensive skills throughout the rest of his contract, which goes to the age of 34, which happens to be where Donaldson is at right now, age 34. So certainly he's going to be the better guy defensively. You don't know about offensively, and that's why it makes it extremely risky to try and go down that pathway. Well, then the question is, do you want to go after Donaldson at a higher number? And that's hard to say. The Braves certainly don't want to bid against themselves here. And last week, we thought we had learned that the Twins, the other principal party that might be going after him, might be out of the running, except that now new information seems to suggest that not only are they in the running, but they're trying to put the charm offensive on him. 
they seem to be developing a rapport between twins manager Rocco Baldelli and Donaldson and are having reportedly daily conversations with him and or his agent. So certainly the twins are are trying to get him warmed up to the idea of going to cold Minnesota while the Braves, we don't know what they're doing. So at this point, I would not be terribly surprised if the twins end up winning the player. If that happens, the Braves are in a little bit of a hurt, be trying to figure out what in the world to do about the position at third base. And that's essentially what we've been talking about all winter long. So there we are. It's, it's not a good situation, but it's certainly not a slam dunk for the Braves. No doubt. Clint, since this is your first time on here, uh, I'll let you go ahead and get your opinion out on Donaldson. Do you do you think the Braves should be all in for him? Do you think he ultimately signs with the Braves? And, and what do you think that final figure looks like? Two or three days ago, I guess, when we found out that the Twins, or we thought maybe the Twins were out of it, I thought it was just a matter of hours before Braves signed him. But now, like Alan, I don't really, I don't really know what's going on with the Braves. Um, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if they still want him. I agree with Alan. I think he's he's still waiting on uh, the right amount. I don't think he's gotten the amount that he, he necessarily wants yet. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of pushing towards the twins now. I think David O'Brien was correct back when he was saying that the Braves really don't want to go four years, and they don't. I don't see him going over 110, 120 million, and that might be that might end up being what it takes to get him. And and Fred, I know we've kind of exhausted our thoughts on this topic, but there's anything you'd like to to add to that? Well, I kind of agree with everybody. I mean, I wrote somewhere this week, I don't remember where, one of the comments, that I think uh, 4 at 23 is about as far as the Braves are going to go, and that's 92. If he's not taking 92 because he wants another 108, I hope he has fun in Minnesota. I really think that we could take the money, turn around, and go get Seager and Hanninger, and then flip Enciarte uh, and Contreras and a player to Pittsburgh and come back with Marte and be in really good shape. And that may not happen, but there are scenarios out there where you insert three players and cover that one spot and give yourself some padding. And everybody forgets Seager pops 20, 25, 22, 25 home runs in a pitcher's ballpark every year. He plays at Oakland, which is uh, the Grand Canyon, and he plays at Seattle, which is a pitcher's ballpark. Anaheim's no piece of cake, and he still hits 22 bombs every year. That's pretty good power in that league out there, and I think that translates down. And if you pick up either Marte or Hanninger or both of them and you spend about the same money, I think we're fine. So, you know, at this point, I'm like, I'm not mad at him for not taking it, but I'm just ready to say, okay, here's the deal, sign or let's go. Yeah, that, that's really where I'm at as well. That's kind of what I wrote the other day. I, I think the Braves need to give them their final offer and, and leave it out there, but start exploring other options. And, you know, that's not to say that if Donaldson wakes up tomorrow and says, okay, I want to play for the Braves, I, I accept your offer, you know, that's great. Let's let's go, and, and I'd be happy as everyone else. But at the same time, like you said, Fred, and like others have said, you know, there's other possibilities out there and other options and ways for the Braves to improve their roster. That's why I sent out a tweet tonight, uh, and we're recording this on, on Thursday, asking people, you know, what would you do with the $20 million that we wouldn't spend on Donaldson? And, you know, you can scroll through the comments, and there's a, a lot of less than positive comments on there. But uh, there was a lot of good suggestions as well, and, and it just shows there's other ways that the Braves can – spend that money and spend those resources and still um, upgrade the team a good bit for, for 2020. Like you said, you know, I, I would 
go trade for Marte in a, in a heartbeat. I've kind of been pushing that all, all off season. You could go get Hanniger. You could go trade for John Gray. You know, there's a lot of things that you could do, even if Donaldson doesn't sign. So I've never been one that thinks that it's, it's Donaldson or bust for the Braves. I'll admit I was getting a little excited this time last week when it, it sounded like we were on the cusp of signing him. But now I'm actually a little excited to hear that the Braves aren't bidding against themselves. There's no reason, as Alan said, to offer him 110 if no other team is. You know, if, if the highest offer we want to go is 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 92 or or 95, then that's where they need to, to stick. Uh, I think they need to give them their final offer, and I think we all need to, to, get, to mo- start moving on and, and get this behind us because we need something else to talk about. I'm sorry, um, you were expecting positive comments on a Twitter question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we actually get more than than, than you would think, but uh, it's not that they're negative. It's just uh, off the wall is, is kind of what I was uh, thinking, uh, trying to say there. But uh, we we get a lot of good feedback on Twitter, and I, I appreciate all of our followers on there. Now that we've got uh, the Donaldson situation behind us and the latest drama, let's spend the rest of this time talking about prospects and specifically the ones that are uh, mentioned on Clint's top 30 list that, again, was released earlier this week. And if you haven't had a chance to check that out, uh, please go over to tomahawktake.com, click on the Prospects tab, uh, and it's the top three articles on that page. Clint, before we get into the list, though, would you like to explain kind of the process that you went through as far as creating this list? You know, were there certain metrics that you used to rank them, or was this more of just kind of a gut feeling based on what you've seen and read? Yeah, so I think me and you and Alan talked a little bit when I first started this project. At first, I wanted to kind of do like an objective type. I wanted to leave my opinion out of it as much as possible, and, and I think I was kind of getting a little too... I was overthinking it a little bit, and I decided to just kind of stick with something simple. I didn't want too much focus to be wasted on the actual process of the ranking. I wanted the, the focus to be on the players. A lot of lists like Fangraphs, Baseball Prospectus, they base a lot of their rankings on projected upside, and they have the ability to you know watch players a lot more than I can, and a lot of times they have projections on these players before they even throw their first pitch or they swing their first bat in, in pro ball, I don't have the, the, the resources or the time to, to be that detailed. So really, I just kind of took a real simple approach at it, and it's all subjective. It's all just kind of, like you said, gut feeling. And I think it turned out rather well. I mean, obviously, there's going to be several players that people are going to think should be higher or lower. But I think overall, if you focus kind of – if you look at the posts in groups of 10, like I was saying in the in the – intro of each piece if you look kind of look at it in tiers it all kind of makes sense you can move a few players around in each group but I, I think I think it turned out pretty well yeah no I, I enjoyed the list I think things a little different than some of the other top 30 lists that we've seen but I think it's a good thing and, and the way I kind of viewed it is it's at least in the way that I view these guys you kind of listed them and or who's the safest bet to to get to the majors and be a productive player when some of these players that 
may be good. It may have upside. You didn't have ranked quite as high as other people. And, and I think that kind of makes sense when you, you view it that way. So I enjoyed the list. Uh, I won't say that I don't have my disagreements with it, um, but we'll, we'll definitely get into that as well. So let's start with 30 through 21 here, and I'll just run through the list uh, real quick. You have Mitch Stallings, uh, Greg Cullen, Hayden Deal, CJ Alexander, Bryce Ball, Tyler Owens, Casey Kalich, William Contreras, Thomas Burroughs, and Jeffrey Ramos um, from 30 to 21. Uh, I'll be honest and tell you, I, I am not much of a prospect guy, and I'm not very familiar with a lot of the names on this list. But one thing that certainly sticks out is uh, William Contreras at 23. And I'm not really as high on him as a, a lot of people are, and certainly not as high on him as I was an offseason ago. Uh, but but 23 still still seems a little um, low for somebody who's considered to be uh, by a lot of people the second best catching prospect for the Braves. What uh, led you to to ranking him at 23? Well, with Contreras, and we talked before we started the recording. He you know he was supposed to be this offensive catcher that that needed to to work on his defense. And you know he's 22 years old, or he'll be 22 in the 20, 2020 season. You know he was challenged last year. They moved him up to Double A, but he still hit 246. Didn't have a lot of power. I think he had two, only two or three home runs and 60 games up there. And I, I just don't think I'm just not as high on him as you know most lists probably will be. And I, I want to see how he does in 2020. And I mean, with a midseason list coming in probably in July, he could move up. But uh, I'm just I don't think he's the answer in terms of uh, the future for the Braves catcher. I just don't I just don't see it. Yeah, one thing I'm just looking at, his uh, OPS for the Florida State League and the Southern League last year, both below 700. That's obviously not going to get it done. He's he's If he's going to be the offensive catcher, quote-unquote, he's got to be up in the near 800 range. And so far, he, he obviously hasn't shown that. So that's a little bit of a warning shot, perhaps. Yeah, and, and the Florida State League, that's kind of where power and offense sort of goes to die, or at least it has in the past. His offense kind of struggling in there isn't as surprising, but it just he just hasn't really shown much on offense his entire time in the system. Fred, what are your thoughts on Contreras? you kind of view him the same way, or are you a little bit higher on him? I was hoping that he would be what he was supposed to be at the plate, but my view of a catcher is the first thing he's supposed to do is catch the ball. And if you're not going to do that, and I guess A.J. Prasinski had a great career, but A.J. Prasinski wasn't a great catcher. And I want the catcher to catch. I'd rather put put my power out in the field because the, the catcher wears down during the year. So you know, telling me he's a great offensive catcher is fine, but if he can't catch the ball and you're hoping he can and he's not hitting – then there's a problem. So I was glad, glad they signed Langilliers last year because he can catch the ball and he can run a rotation. And it also makes Contreras by uh, a sell Contreras pretty high as a trade ship to somebody who needs him in <clears throat> Pittsburgh. And um, uh, <laughs> I just am not sold on Contreras. Maybe it's just, I don't like his brother very much, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> got to catch the ball and he's not doing that. And if he's not hitting, which is his carry tool, if his carry tool isn't carrying him, yeah, I'm, I agree with Clint. <laughs> yeah, so we're pretty much all in, in agreement on that one. Um, but I know a lot of people that, that weren't, and that's okay. Um, but one name that, 
Uh, I've been hearing a lot of good things about it is Bryce Ball. Uh, Clint, can you tell me a little bit more about him? Yeah, so Ball is a, uh, he's a big guy, 6'6", 235. He spent some time in Danville in Rome last season or in 2019. He was a 24th round pick, and he absolutely destroyed the ball in rookie ball uh, with 17 home runs. He hit 329 in 62 games last year. I know he's a first baseman. I don't know much about his defense yet. Just 20 year, 21 years old, but I could see him in double-A by 2020. If he keeps it up, I don't think the Braves have a choice. And, and with him being a college guy, I think, I think he's advanced enough that uh, he could be in Mississippi this season. So if I heard you correctly, Clint, he's going to replace Freddie Freeman in 2022. Is that, is that what you said? No, no, Ooh. that is not. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I want to make sure we were clear there. Alan or, or Fred, either of you have any, any thoughts on, on Bryce Ball? I was high on Ball when I got drafted him. I, I had not. He, he played here in Texas. I have not seen him. Uh, I've watched video of him hitting, and the man can hit. He's got lots of power. He's got a nice swing. He hits the ball. It sounds different off his bat. And he was supposed to be an okay first baseman as well. Now, he wasn't playing in Division One school, and he didn't have any national notice. But I was really high on ball once I, once I watched him. A bunch of videos, admittedly, and it could have all been his great games, I suppose. But he can hit. He played okay first base. He came he came through in the clutch for the team uh, several times that I, in in the games that I watched. And I'm really happy that he continued to do that because first of all, I said he would when we when we signed him, and second of all, I like finding players that have, everybody's blown past because they're too old or or they don't fit the mold or something like that. And this last draft, boy, I tell you what, this last draft had a lot of players that are, that are really lottery tickets in it. Ball, I think, is one of the better ones, and I'm I'm hoping he comes through. Yeah, he is the fashionable pick to break out this year. But to be honest, I'm looking at his stats now, and he already kind of broke out. While he was still at Dallas Baptist, he hit 325 in 2019. When he got to Danville, he hit 324. Then they moved him up to Rome, seeing if they could challenge him there. 337, yes. and he was averaging over a thousand OPS. Yeah, this guy can hit. <laughs> There's no doubt about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a bat. He's definitely a bat. And first basemen are, are not that easy to find. I mean, good ones anyway. So let's kind of wrap up this group. And, and Clint, I'll start with you again. Is is there anybody else from this group that really sticks out to you as somebody to watch? I really liked, uh, of course, I had Jeffrey Ramos at number 21. He had a he had a better 2018 in Rome, but he he did well in the Florida State League in high A, nine home runs, 16 doubles. I don't think he's going to be you know a Christian Pache or Drew Waters or anything, but I, I could see him as a fourth outfielder maybe. Casey Kalich at number 24, he's a righty. He was a big star at Texas A&M, tops out around 97. He turned in a really good season in Rome, 131 ERA in uh, 20 innings in Rome. And Tyler Owens was a high school guy. I had him at 25. Uh, he's a little bit smaller. He's only like 5'10", 5'11", but he's got a fastball in the mid-90s, strong slider, two-pitch guy, fastball slider guy. And he had a decent season in the GCL and then Danville. I think he had a 420 ERA. I, I think he's got some upside too. So 
there were there this group is a really good group i mean it's the very back end of the rankings but i mean there are several guys greg cullen at 29 mitch even mitch stallings the very last very last pick that i had um coming out of duke he wasn't he wasn't very you know hyped up but he had a really good season this year and uh yeah there's it's just a really good group overall at least to be a, a the last 10 on the rankings yeah i watch a, a lot of college baseball and mitch stallings uh was, was a really good pitcher for duke and he kind of strikes me as somebody that can either be an opener one day or somebody who can uh, pitch multiple innings there kind of in a relief role and, and be a really good arm there so i'm really curious to see how how he develops alan i'll start with you is there anybody else on this list that you're excited about i don't have a particular name i guess i'm i'm when we get guys at this level, you you do wait for them to sort of break out a little bit. They've just started their professional careers, really, and until they get up a couple levels, it's hard to, to make any uh, particular statements about anybody. That's why Bryce Ball kind of sticks out, because of what he did last year. However, if I recall correctly, C.J. Alexander did that the year before, and not so much this year. So it, it's a good list to start. It's kind of like a rank and follow list to some extent where we can uh, take a look at some guys and get to know their names and, and follow them along and see how they go from here. Yeah, and I think like we were talking about with Contreras too, you know, we really don't know what these guys are going to do until they, they get up to double A. So it's really kind of hard to judge them on their first couple of years in, in pro ball. Fred, I'll, I'll end with you on this group. Is there any, anybody else here that – um, you're excited about or, or feel good about in the future? Well, I've got to feel good about Tyler Owens just simply because I hope he's related and get me, gets me game tickets. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I really uh, am looking forward to seeing Owens pitch because I like the small guys that come around and show them that, that, that you can pitch if you're not six foot six. Everybody was telling me how Brad Benito and all these guys like Bo Phillip were, and I've not sold on any of them. So I'm looking for somebody to come through besides besides ball and, and do something for us. All right, so let's take a look now at 20 through 11, and I'll run down the list real quick. Starting at 20, we have Freddie Tarnock, Daysball Hernandez, Logan Brown, Grayson Janista, Shay Langeliers, Braden Shoemake, Justin Dean, Alex Jackson, Jacille De La Cruz, and Victor Vodnik. So now we're starting to get into some names that I, I'm, I'm a lot more familiar with. Freddie Tarnock is an interesting one to me uh, because the Braves invested a lot in him, and he, I think he has a lot of upside, uh, but we haven't really seen it yet. Obviously a young athletic arm. Uh, and they've moved him along kind of slowly for, for good reasons. They've kind of tried to been or to baby him a little bit. Clint, what is what is kind of your outlook for Tarnock? Tarnock, he's a 21-year-old, probably 93, 94 fastball. He's got really good secondaries. He kind of took a little bit of a step back in 2019. He pitched in Florida in 2019. In 18, he had a 3.96 ERA. In 19, he had a 487 with Florida. He started in the system at a real young age, and I think he's he's on the right track. I don't think his upside is is as high as some of the other guys, but to be you know number twenty on the rankings, I, I think he'll be a, a for sure a decent pitcher in the future. Fred or Allen, do you have any any thoughts on Tarnock? 
I think Tarnock's a nice trade piece myself. I, he's got, like he said, he's got the upside there, and I don't think he's got enough to break through our system, but he's better than pitchers in a lot of other systems, and I think that uh, that makes him attractive that way. Like he said, good secondary stuff. Uh, everything works off fastball. If he can make that fastball look good enough, and then use his secondaries to get people out. He's he's good, but every time I've suggested a trade over the last year or so, it's been it's included Freddie because I think he uh, I think he fits into that groove where gee whiz, he looks really good for our team, and he's not going to make it for the Braves. Let's ask for him, and I think that that sort of fits that 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 mold. And when I look at young pitchers, especially the thing I am looking at the most is the strikeout and walk ratios. And despite the fact that he did have a, a ERA near five at Florida, his uh, strikeouts were 82 in 98 innings, not quite as much as you'd um, perhaps want to hope for, but uh, he only walked 36. So he's still on the, on the right side of that. It, it's a, a number of walks, but it's not a tremendous number of walks. And that kind of thing suggests that he's, getting his command, getting his control going, and at that age, still just 20. That's a reasonably good sign. Yeah, it's not top tier, but it, it, it's something that might be useful. Let's get into the bit of a, a debate here and, and something that probably have a little bit of a disagreement on, at least as far as, as me, is you don't seem to be too high on our 2019 draft picks. As you have Langoliers and Shoemaker at 15 and 16. Uh, and you even have Alex Jackson ahead of, of Langoliers. So uh, I'll give you the floor here for a minute, Clint, and, and try to explain yourself why you got those two ranked so low. Yeah, like I said, my rankings probably, and they, and they, they might have leaned too much on actual performance. With Jackson at 13, that was a lot of because of his uh, his power that he he kind of broke out in the power department in 2019. But Braden Shoemake, um, I think he has the potential to really rise in 2020. He, he made it all the way to Mississippi this past season. He hit 300, his first first stint in the pros. And Langlier's, I got him at 16 because he, he had a really rough start to begin the year, and I'm not quite – we don't really know exactly what we have with him. I mean, the projections look great. A lot of people are saying he's a, he's a better hitting Austin Hedges, and that might be true. But I think we still need to wait a little bit. I, I just I didn't want to put guys that maybe only play twenty or thirty games so far. I didn't want to put them too high yet, because then we're just going to have to drop them as soon as the midseason reports come out. But anybody that you know has a problem with them being that low, I mean that's it's a it's a fair point. With Alex Jackson being in front of them too, that that does make it seem a little worse, but. Like I said, I tried to I tried to base them more on actual performance uh, and less on just projection because I think that's kind of important when you're looking at the players' numbers. You know, you want it to kind of line up. You don't want a guy that's maybe struggled or maybe has absolutely no no playing time yet, and then have them really high in the rankings just to drop them later on. So, Alan, I'll start with you on, on this. What do you think about these two guys, the Braves' uh, top picks from 2019? Well, Flangeliers, I'll start trying to pronounce it that way, is the defensive catcher as opposed to what we're seeing otherwise with Contreras, then hopefully that's showing through. And of course, we don't see that in the stats unless you're watching him day to day. It's it's hard to make a judgment on how he's doing defensively. 
you're you're going to have trouble seeing these guys who played a college season that got drafted, then get shipped off away from home, getting adjusted to life on the road, life in a, a minor league system very quickly. And that makes it tricky to, to get them any kind of stats that are meaningful for that first half a year or so. So I'm okay with a wait and see approach here. I still have fresh in my mind uh, Christian Bethencourt, who was supposed to be all that, and we just kept waiting for his bat to come around, and the defense was all right, and the defense was going to be there, and by the time we got to the majors, we figured out, mm, the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> so my upside preferences on these catchers aside, the history says I would like to wait and see before we go too far here. And so that's that's where I'm at on just about all these guys. And and I, I have no problem ranking them anywhere, frankly, because uh, we really need to see them at the double A level, at least showing their stuff before I, I can get on their bandwagons. Fred, who's the last good catching prospect that that filled their their potential with the Braves? I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. And I'm Brian obvious. McCann, McCann, yeah, Brian McCann. Uh, yeah, since McCann, we had we had we had uh, Salt Lamakia, who yes. uh, who turned into a um, a catcher everybody wanted, but at one time couldn't throw a ball back to the pitcher. Salty was a nice guy, but catchers catchers are really hard to raise. That's why nobody has like a plethora of them. If you get a good catching prospect, the, the Giants are wishing now they'd have moved Posey to first base a long time ago because with, when he got his leg messed up like that, he started to tear. He can't, he's not hitting now. And the, that's the problem with really good catching prospects unless you're really tough. When I'm talking Molina tough and, and, and these guys that sit back there and, and Sal Perez tough, who the ball just bounces off of them and says, ouch, unless you're like that guy and you can stick it, then they're going to find a place for you out in the field. Uh, I'm I'm higher on Legelliers for for defense. I think his defense is there. And, and as Allen said, he comes out of college. He's played ball one way. He's done all these things one way. And then we move him to a faster game with people he doesn't know. I mean, he played with those guys in college forever. Now he's sticking with people he doesn't know away from home in a different league in a different system. I want to see him next year. Okay, before I you know jump up in on that, I don't mind where they're ranked. Honestly, some of these people uh, need to be moved up. Alex Jackson, I'm surprised he's st- still in anybody's list because I don't think he translates to anything in the major league level. I'm sorry, I just don't think he's there. I I think he's a 4A player. He's one of those guys that looks good. He's going to hit a lot of minor league home runs, and he's not going to play much in the major league. Now, I hope he makes me wrong, but I just don't see that, and I think that's why Seattle bailed on him. The guy I'm interested in, Shoemake, I like Shoemake a lot. Um, but, uh, I, you know, the catching prospects, Bethancourt, I still think Bethancourt had, has, a, has, a, has a problem with concussion that nobody's diagnosed yet because he was at one time a really fine defensive catcher, and he just seemed to zone out at times when he got to the majors. And that's the kind of thing that happens uh, with too many pops off the helmet. So I'm hoping I'm incorrect. But that's that's what it looked like to me. I said so, and I wrote it at the time. It's hard to be a catcher in the minor leagues. You've got to be tough, and you can't show you an injury because you know you you can be dumped in a heartbeat. And that's sort of where I'm at. I'm I'm like Alan. These short season guys, I want to see them next year. But I I really think Jackson's trade bait. Yeah, but all this goes to prove exactly what we're seeing in the majors right now. If you're thirty. 
33 to 36 years old and still got some defensive skills, you're going to be a catcher. You're going to be a yep. fairly regular backup at least because there just aren't that many good ones that are young. The difference, yeah. the difference is that the catchers who are backing up now are catchers who couldn't hold job before. When they were younger, they 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 got they got backup duties and they sat and learned from people. And by the now they're old and they can catch, but they can't hit anymore. So that's how they get these jobs. And you know, catchers, backup catchers, hang on a long time. David Ross, uh, Perez, all these guys hang on a long time because they learned a lot. That's why they make good managers. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting too. You know, just with the uh, robot umps coming, how all that's going to change if it changes in terms of the catchers that can that have really good gloves but can't hit the ones that have been hanging around for so long i'm anxious to see what happens to them if the the robo umps turn into a definite thing yeah i think it will eventually but i think we're still probably at least five years away from that happening they're going to be in the minor leagues next year so well they were in i mean they did it in uh, what is it, Indie Ball last year? Yeah, yeah, and it was um, a disaster. But they, they, they said <laughs> the Atlantic fix League. That. Yeah, the Atlantic League, and like I said, it, like you said, it was a disaster. So that's why I'm so full uh, steam little, ahead, anyway. <laughs> all right, so that's why I think we're still still ways away from from that happening. But it it will have an invention. That's a good point. It probably will change up the the catcher dynamic a little bit. But yeah, I think the catcher position is interesting um, discussion because. You know, it's been Salta Lamaki was the last one that I that came to my mind when when I was thinking about the last um, good catcher for the Braves to break through, and that's been, you know, 13, 13 years now. So, uh, you know, we heard about Contreras, and now we've kind of seen him tell off, and now Langoliers is going to be the next thing. So, kind of with both of you on, or all three of you on that, and, you know, I want to see more from him. Clint mentioned Austin Hedges. You know, he was a can't miss, you know, top five prospect in all of baseball. And people kept saying, you know, the battle come, the battle come. Well, the bat hasn't come. And now the Padres are, are looking to, to trade him as a defensive first catcher. So uh, we'll see what happens with, with Langoliers. I, I do want to see how he does. I, I do still think he's probably top 10 uh, in the Brave system. And, and I think he'll be a good catcher uh, down the road. But Shoemake, like you both said, that's that's the guy I like in this list. Uh, he's somebody I, I watched a lot of ball at, at Texas A&M, and his freshman year, he, I mean, there were a lot of people that thought he may go first overall when came around his time in the draft, and he kind of just really never took that next step at Texas A&M. He really just kind of um, stayed where he was, which is good, and I think that led to a lot of uh, fatigue really on, on Shoemake being in college at three years and just putting up good numbers year after year, but never really expounding on that. So uh, I'm really excited about him. I I think his ceiling could be a a Ben Zobris type. I've heard people kind of compare him to that. I I don't know if he quite gets to that level, um, but I think he could be that type of of player, somebody that can play multiple positions, hit for a good average, hit for 20, uh, hit around 20 home runs. So I think he's going to be a good player, but uh, Clint, I'll send it back to you real quick. Is there anybody else on this list that, that you think has a chance to really break out this year and jump up this list? Um, I, I was going to add on Shoemake, too. You know, he, he's a big guy, too. He's, I think he's 6'4", and he's only 175-ish, something right there. So as he feels out, he could add, add a lot of pop, too, kind of like how he was in college. I got Janesta at 17, which I kind of put Janesta and Contreras in the same group or the same department in terms of they kind of got challenged last year and they actually took a step back instead of a step forward 
but I didn't I didn't have Janesta fall quite as far back as Contreras. I still think Janesta has a little bit left in the tank as far as upside. And I got Justin Dean at 14. I really like Justin Dean. He's he's a little dude. He's five six. He stole 47 bases last year. Batted 284, nine home runs, 18 doubles, nine triples. Um, I really I want to see him do some more in, in a little bit better competition in 2020, but those are some big numbers. And um, Daysbull Hernandez at 19, he was uh, another Arizona Fall League guy uh, that I wrote about. He had a really good year, 171 ERA, 23 years old, 12 strikeouts per nine in Florida. He was very dominant. He was Florida's go-to guy in the bullpen, and I'm really excited about about him in 2020. I mean, this is another good group, too. I mean, with the draft picks, and if Janessa can bounce back, Hernandez continue what he did last year, Freddie Tarnock kind of bounce back. I mean, this is a really good group. Yeah, no, I, I do I do like this group. I think there's a ton of upside for a lot of these players. Um, Fred, I'll start with you this time. Anybody else on this list, 20 to 11, that sticks out to you? No, not really. I mean, I, I've looked at this. Uh, I expected more from Grayson Janista when we when we first signed him. I was disappointed that he didn't move forward this year. He was challenged a bit, but, you know, he's not a kid. I, I expected him to adjust better. Uh, he didn't. Uh, I'm looking forward to her, seeing Hernandez a little bit. I haven't seen much of him at all. I haven't seen anything of him, actually except a few uh, short clips. Uh, Dela Cruz is interesting as well. I want to see more of him and Bodnick. I always thought he was a major league reliever on the way. So there's pitchers in there. There's relievers in there and, and maybe a starter. But uh, aside from Shoemake uh, and Lingeliers, I'm not sure there's anybody in there that... Uh, Justin Dean looks like a fourth outfielder to me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he turns into Denard Span. For me, uh, he's one of these guys that's maybe just on the cusp of making it. I don't know. Maybe he'll get he'll get more power later or something. But uh, and he turns into like say Denard Span, and who had a really nice career. So I don't know. But basically, Hugh makes my guy, and I'm hoping he turns into maybe a third baseman at some point. Uh, Fred on uh, Justin De La Cruz, I, I meant to say a little bit about him. You know, he threw Florida's no he threw that no hitter last May, yeah. the only no hitter in Florida history. I think he's kind of like that line in the sand in terms of the top tier pitchers and, and the, the second kind of second tier pitchers. Yep. I think Cruz is the top of the second tier. If you look at the rankings, I think you can draw a line right there after um, probably after Kyle Mueller at number eight. And then I got Walker, Harris and Vodnik. But in terms of starting pitcher, I think uh, I think Cruz is your top guy in that second tier section. And Alan, we'll wrap up with you on on this section. Anybody else you wanted to point out or talk about? Well, just a a little history here, I guess. The Braves once some time ago had this kid who didn't do too well in rookie ball at Gulf Coast League, hit 268. Then when he finally got up to Mississippi, he only hit 248. Tended to have this problem where when he first got up a level, he was struggling for a while, and then he finally got it, and now his name's Freddie Freeman. So <laughs> there are definitely some upsides of, of a lot of these guys, and, and we're not necessarily going to see it just from the stats, but we're going to have to, I guess, pay close attention to see what we do see and, and in fact, see these things sometimes instead of always looking at the stat sheets, which is difficult, but that's uh, why we love scouts so much. 
Yeah, and that's why this stuff is is so fun to me. You can you can debate these lists all you want and, and make arguments for the fact is none of us really know. Even even the best scouts in the world, you know, they obviously know better than we do. But nobody really knows how these guys are going to act until they they get into that uh, real competition. I mean, Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson, who we're we're about to talk about, they were surefire things, and we've seen how they responded once they got to the bright lights. And that doesn't mean they won't eventually become good pitchers at the major league level, but you never really know how these, these guys are going to adjust, you know, when the lights are, are the brightest. So that's why I think these lists are, are just fun and we can have fun with them and, and discuss them and, and debate them. Um, but it really doesn't, doesn't mean anything until the, these guys get up there and prove it at the, the highest levels. to our final group here and it's the the top 10 uh, and in that group we have at number one Christian Pache uh, followed by Drew Waters, Ian Anderson, Tucker Davidson, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, Patrick Weigel, Kyle Mueller, Jeremy Walker, and Trey Harris. And I think the top three here is pretty much a consensus across the board. Uh, everyone's pretty much going to say those are your top three so I don't think you'll get much argument there. And, and, and everybody's familiar with Pache, Waters, and, and Anderson. You know, we've kind of talked about Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson on here uh, a lot as well. made our, our feelings known about them. Uh, we all know Fred would trade uh, Bryce Wilson in a heartbeat. But we can get more into them if we need to. But the name I want to uh, focus on uh, is Trey Harris because – you got him all the way up to 10, and, and I like it. I, I love Trey Harris. Uh, again, I'm a big college guy. I watch a lot of Trey Harris. I watch a lot of SEC baseball, and I have no doubts the guy's going to hit. He, he did it at Missouri. Uh, he's obviously in small sample size, done it uh, in pro ball. I have little doubts that he's going to hit uh, wherever he plays. Now, I don't know uh, exactly what that's going to translate to at the major league level. I, I think he's... I think he's at worst a fourth outfielder with a, a chance to be an everyday corner outfield bat that can hit 280 and, and 15 to 20 home runs a year. I don't know if he has a future uh, with the Braves, depending on how the rest of the outfield shakes out. But, uh, Clint, I wanted to start with him. What are your, your feelings on, on Harris and kind of his future? Uh, where do you see him landing? It's pretty obvious I'm pretty high on Harris. I think a lot of people are. Now, after 2019, he was the uh, batter of the year last year in the farm system. He uh, hit 323 with 14 home runs and 26 doubles. Went all the way from, I think he jumped three levels, uh, Rome, Florida, up to Mississippi. And he'll be in AAA probably at some point in 2020. Um, the thing about Harris that's kind of hard to predict is is what where where he fits in the Braves outfield in terms of the major league club uh, with Pache and Waters right there on the cusp. I I don't know what they're going to do with Harris. Um, there's a part of me that thinks at Missouri he played nothing but the infield. I mean that was he was like a second baseman, third baseman type guy. I kind of wonder if the Braves might try to move him around a little bit in 2020. Maybe see if there's another place he can stick it at. Maybe help his stock a little bit in terms of reaching the majors. I mean, he's obviously able to do it. He did it in college. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really high on Trey Harris. I just I don't know where it's going to end up or how it's going to end up in terms of him making the major league team. But, I mean, he's killing it in the minors right now. 
I, I haven't seen Harris much. Uh, what I have seen has impressed me. One of the things that interests me is if you, if you make a trade uh, for somebody that requires a quality prospect, uh, I think Waters is the guy that gets traded uh, because they're not, I don't think there's any way in the world to trade Pache. And if, they, if there's an outfielder water and it has to be uh, traded and it has to be a quality outfielder, it's going to be Waters. And I'm okay with that because I'm not sure I, I'm not as high on Waters as some people are. Uh, and I think Harris might be a nice fit. Um, I, doubles tend to tend to predict home runs when you get to the major league. You, if you get to, you get a minor league guy who bangs 40 doubles a year, that's going to turn into home runs at the major league. And I like a guy. He's already hitting 14, 15 home runs a year, and he bangs out a couple dozen doubles on top of that. And that tells me the kid he's got good hands, and he he connects the ball well, he sees the ball well, and he he hits it squarely and and, and drives it hard. So if he does that and he gets to the major leagues, there's no reason in the world why he can't be a nice little outfielder now. He's 5'8". That's a problem maybe uh, for some people. Makes him almost a corner, a center fielder at, at best. Maybe he's a trade piece. But I, I like Harris. I think he's, just from looking at what I've seen of him in bits and pieces, I think he's got potential to go a long way. But that's just, again, it's, it's a guess at this point. Yeah, and I, we've talked about Waters a good bit on, on here before, and I think, you know, me... Fred and Alan, I know, are kind of in agreement that we're, none of us are really all that high on him, and, and I've kind of been pushing him in trade, uh, mock trades, uh, this offseason. It's not that I don't think he can't be a, a really good outfielder. I just, from what I've seen with my own eyes, I, I'm not sold on him. And, and Alan, I kind of know you you feel the same way. Yeah, we had the occasion to watch uh, three premium prospects in a single couple of games down in Birmingham last summer because on the field at the same time were Pache, Waters, and Luis Robert for the White Sox. And, of course, if you've been paying attention at all, you've seen that uh, Robert just uh, signed himself uh, up for a lot of money with the, with the Chicago team. He's going to be in the majors this year. He was <laughs> about the only good guy I saw in the Birmingham Barons, but yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> Nonetheless, it, it was a man among boys kind of a, a situation there. But among those three, I've had them ranked as essentially Roberts and Pache and then Waters and fairly decent gap between them. Now, I, I think it may have been because uh, switch hitting Waters uh, was getting overmatched by the pitcher from Birmingham that day, but Still, um, that has colored my opinion of of his upside a little bit. Back to Harris, though. I have not seen him uh, personally. I love what I'm seeing in terms of the numbers, but he is almost 24 years old. He will be shortly. Uh, let's see. In fact, <laughs> next week. <laughs> so he is older for a prospect already, but at the same time, the Braves apparently decided we're going to see what this kid can do. And he responded at every blooming level he, he played at, including the Arizona fall league. So I think he's got a shot at triple a this year. They'll probably start him in double a and then see what happens from there. And then, yeah, he could be a trade piece. He could be a fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder injury kind of, guy perhaps in the in the next year not uh, 2020 but perhaps 2021 i'm going to be watching him because he is certainly the fast riser among the those in this prospect list 
Yeah, and while uh, at that game we were at in Birmingham, we got to watch uh, Pache and Waters, and I was able to stick around because I live in Birmingham. I was able to stick around and watch Ian Anderson the next day, and I, I gave my scouting report on him a- after that game. And I-, I like Anderson. I definitely think he's the best pitching prospect we have. Saying that, I don't see him as as an ace type guy as, as some people do. Uh, I see him more as a, a ceiling of a of a two and. Uh, a floor kind of a floor of a four uh, didn't mean to rhyme there but it works out anyway but that's kind of where I see in Anderson I think he's this pretty safe bet to be a very good major league pitcher um, just because of the way he's able to command his pitches but I don't see him as that that ace of the future uh, like some people do but Clint I'll throw it back to you you got a lot of pitchers here uh, three to three to nine on your list uh, if you don't mind just kind of talk about the pitchers on this list a little bit yeah, so I got Anderson at three. Um, he was with Harris, the batter of the year. Um, Anderson was the pitcher of the year last year in the Braves minor league system. Um, overall, 11.4 strikeouts per nine. Um, he led the Southern League in double-A for much of the season in strikeouts. It, it was kind of cool. The, the Mississippi Braves had Anderson leading the league in strikeouts and Tucker Davidson leading the league in ERA. Kind of that one-two punch up there at the top of that rotation. I got him at three. I'm high on Anderson. I, I think I th- he's working on a changeup right now, which it was a lot better this year. I think if he can get his secondaries lined out, I think he's he's going to be, you know, somebody that, that we can, kind of like what Soroka did, somebody that can make it into the rotation for the Braves. Um, Davidson was my big mover in terms of pitching prospects. He's a lefty, made it up to AAA, just like Anderson and Pache did. A two, he had a barely a two ERA in Double A. I forget exactly what it was, like a two oh six, two oh three, or something. Two oh three, yep. In fact, he was the guy that I saw that day in uh, Birmingham. I think he gave up only like three hits in six innings, and two of them were from Luis Robert. But you know, that's what you get. <laughs> yeah, he he really he really took some steps last year that that kind of puts him in that top elite prospect for the Braves and a 284 ERA in AAA which tells you a lot I mean he he didn't miss a beat once in AAA Kyle Wright and Wilson I got them back to back at five and six respectively um everybody knows they struggled we know how bad they were in the majors Wilson had a 720 ERA Kyle Wright a eight plus ERA I mean it, it wasn't good at all I'm not ready to exactly kick him to the curb yet I wanted to keep him in the top ten just to just to be safe, and, and we'll see what happens as the season goes on. They they still actually or technically have a shot to make the Braves rotation this spring. I think I think Newcomb will get it, unless you know the Braves surprise us all and bring in somebody. But there's really nobody else on the market unless they make a trade. Patrick Weigel at seven. Uh, he's a big guy, hard thrower, 6'6". He's in the mid-90s. He came back in 19 after Tommy John surgery. He missed all of 2018 because of a Tommy John surgery. And he really surprised me. I, I don't really know a lot about him. But as far as the numbers go, I mean, the Braves were really, really careful with him for like three quarters of the season. But he just still can, just kept on consistently making good starts. And uh, – had a really big year last year. He made it up to AAA too, and I, and I, if I recall, he's on the forty man right now too. And yeah. um, Weigel he, and Tucker Davidson are actually both on the the forty man. Yeah. And then at eight, we got Mueller, another lefty. 
Uh, he's another big guy. Him and Weigel are about the same size, 6'6", 220, 230. Mueller's got a big slider. He had 22 starts in AA. He basically matched his numbers from 2018, except it was just a level higher. So I, I'm giving him credit there for that. But he, I just think his size, his body, his makeup really make him that kind of prototypical top of the rotation arm. Plus he's a lefty, and, and that's pretty important too. Walker at nine, I really, I really struggle with Jeremy Walker. Um, I didn't know whether to put him in the top ten or not. A lot of people probably disagree with him being at nine, and I think that's a good argument right there. He, he had trouble deciding on him, but his, his AAA numbers were really good, and he made it up to the majors in nineteen and pitched well. He, he's another big guy, six five, two oh five, and that's another one of those picks where it was, it kind of came down to what they did in terms of actual performance and i mean he had a great year he's not he has he's not really a highly touted prospect but he'll be in the bullpen for the braves this season and if if he continues to put up good numbers i don't see any reason why he shouldn't be in the top 10 yeah and i I like the pitchers on on your list here and i think they all have a chance to be impact pitchers but fred I'll, i'll go to you who of this pitching group are you most excited about well everybody wants to see anderson Weigel, I'm not sure. I mean, I I was excited about him before his surgery, and I haven't seen him since he came back. I thought it was interesting the Braves brought him up for a day and then sent him right back down. If he's Kyle Hendricks, he's fine, you know. <laughs> if, if he gets out there and, and moves the ball around the plate and shows him that fastball and moves it around and has the command to do that, which is sort of what he did, I think he's going to be fine. I like Weigel if it, if that's what he's still doing, and I have because I haven't seen him this year. And I like Mueller, but um, and I think he's going to be up there pretty soon. I'm not sure he's got top of the rotation stuff. I would have said he's a two or a high three maybe. And I of course I can't argue with you on Anderson. I haven't seen Anderson recently either. But everybody thinks Anderson's got it, got the stuff. The pitching at the in the top of the rotation, uh, top of the list. Their starting pitching is there down to about number 12 spot. And then after that, you sort of have this guy maybe a starter, maybe a reliever. Got a 65 fastball, and that's it. So that's all those guys, Victor Bodnick, Kasich, uh, all those guys look like sort of relievers. And the top end of the group looks like the starter group. Uh, the problem with that is with all that top ends of starter group, and we got starters now, there's not enough room at the, at the end. So uh, this is what Alan came up with like a couple weeks ago we talked about. Uh, you have to decide, make your pick, uh, which one you're going to lean on, and then use the others uh, to buy the things you can't afford to buy elsewhere, uh, which is <clears throat> Arenado and Colorado. Uh, so uh, those things, <laughs> those things are what you do with pitchers that you uh, don't have room for. So, Alan, that's a good segue. Who who are you getting rid of here for Arenado? <laughs> well, we got a lot of options, don't we? The guy I'm curious about the most is the guy we saw in Birmingham, Tucker Davidson, because I didn't know before last year, I didn't know a lot about him, but he did lead the Southern League in pitching, and that's a pitcher's league. So the fact that he did that is it's not insignificant at all. Is he going to have a place in the Atlanta rotation? Probably not. Uh, that That's really a, a difficult forecast to make. Uh, he He could do it. Uh, there are circumstances that would allow for that to happen, but if you were to project it now to say, 
say he's going to be in the rotation in two or three years. I, I, I don't really foresee that. So if you're, you're going to let somebody go for trade bait, he'd probably be the first one I'd start with. He keeps the ball down, and obviously that would be a plus in Denver. Kyle Wright might be another one of those two, depending on how his development goes. Some of these other guys, the same kind of thing. You, you could almost say that, I hate to use the word expendable when we're talking about people here and, <laughs> and players, but that, that, that's effectively what we're at for anybody from on this list from perhaps four on back. Uh, if Anderson really is all that, and so far it looks like the, the scouts and, and the, the organization think so, then you want to hang on to him and then use any of these other guys to uh, allow us to fill the holes where we need to fill the holes. In terms of the rankings themselves, yeah, Jeremy Walker at nine is probably going to be higher than almost anybody else simply because almost every other ranking service uh, is reticent to put a reliever that high because they tend to devalue relievers. Uh, I'm not necessarily that way. If you've got a guy who's an impact guy, then you, you put him in the right spot. I told you earlier that I value the idea of strikeout to walk ratio. In the minors last year, his was seven and a half to one. That'll play. Yeah, so that's yeah, good if, stuff. <laughs> if, if he can do that, the major league level didn't in 2019 at the major league level, but he only pitched nine innings too. So if he can do that at the major league level, then he'll have a job for a while. I think, by the way, not uh, jump in here and step on your feet, but I think Wilson's that guy too. You know, I think Wilson. He's got two pitches, okay? Let's not let's not blow smoke. Oh, he picked up this really great. No, he didn't. He's got a fastball and a slide piece, a little bitty changeup. He shows people. Those two pitches thrown the way he pitches with no fear in the eighth and ninth inning at 97-98 because that 94 becomes 97-98 when he's in there for only an inning. That makes him a back-of-the-bullpen closer kind of guy. Los Angeles Dodgers guy, can't think of it off the top of that right but, but he's that kind of guy. Just go out there and, and blow smoke at him and flip him a slide piece and watch him spin around a midget. That's, that's where I think Wilson's value is. I think Walker can do that as well. But uh, that's that's sort of where I'm at on this. I, can't, uh, I guess I, you're thinking of Kendley Jensen and not yeah, uh, trying in. Okay. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> agree with you on Wilson, though, in terms of a, of a – I see him as an awesome closer. I mean, like you said, he's got that fastball, and, and he really depends on it a little bit too much, and that's kind of what gets him in trouble. But coming out of the bullpen, just letting it letting it rock, I think he would he would be a pretty cool reliever, pretty good closer. And he's not scared of anybody. No, that's, that's he has why no he's fear. He just goes out and throws the ball, so here it is, hit it. And, and that's what a closer's got to do. All right, so I want to – last question I want to – ask here to kind of wrap this up is as we look at this uh the brave system as a whole and we've kind of looked at the top 30 prospects i want to get each of your feelings on the the braves farm system and and kind of how you view it do you still think it's one of the best in baseball and um you know who do you think is going to be the superstar of this list or or is there one and clint I'll, i'll start with you again what are your overall thoughts of the braves farm system right now in terms of overall, from top to bottom, I don't know if I would say they're the best. They might not be the best in terms of the most talented players at the very top. I, I kind of think they are, but I think they're one of the deepest systems in baseball for sure. I think from top to bottom, you've got a lot of players, a very large group of players that look like they're they're figuring it out, look like they, they have a chance. You know, They might not all be... For sure, major leaguers, that's that's almost like we talked about, that's really hard to predict, especially with a lot of these newer guys. And as far as depth, 
this is a and especially pitching wise, I think the Braves still have you know a top five farm system in all of baseball. And the second question, who who stands out or who I think is going to be the best? I mean, I think it all circles around Pache. I mean, he I think he's that that next potentially that the next you know Acuna. I think that's that's who we're all looking at. That's who we're all waiting for. And I think he's the one that that we're all going to remember in terms of this class. I kind of agree with your your point that I think this group has a lot of depth. I don't necessarily believe it has a lot of star power. Pache probably is the best, and I'm not necessarily as high on Pache as a lot. Of, I think there's uh, I think there's a lot of potential there, and I know you you aren't necessarily comparing him to a to an Acuna, but you know yeah. I think he's I think he's nowhere near that level. And and Alan brought up you know, watching Luis Robert and Pache on the same field. And in my opinion, Robert was still a level above Pache even. So I, I think there's a lot of really good players from top to bottom on this list. I don't think there's a, a, a standout or a superstar among them. Uh, as we talked about with the pitchers, I think there's some guys that are capable of being a two. And, you know, that's kind of the ceiling for a lot of them. But I think also you could, like Fred was saying, I think, three through 12, any of those guys could be uh, two to, to four type pitchers. Uh, you could, you could safely say that they'll be, you know, middle of the rotation pitchers at the next level. So I think, I think it is a deep class. I don't think it's top five in all of baseball anymore. Uh, maybe top 10. Again, as we talked about, this is all just kind of speculation. We don't, we don't really know until we see these guys on the biggest stage, but uh, Alan, I'll shoot it to you. Kind of the same question. How do you, how do you view this farm system for the Braves right now? And, and do you see a superstar come out of this group? Yeah. The, the word right now is depth because you do have, well, heck you've got eight other top 10 that have already been hit to at least the triple a level, if not the major leagues. So yeah, there's some major leaguers in there for, for sure. And some guys are going to have some nice careers. They're not going to necessarily be all-star careers. If the cards uh, fall correctly, then perhaps they will be. But I do like the fact that there is some value there for the, the Braves to be able to make some uh, use of these guys as trade pieces. And I'm going to harp on that until they make that big trade, I guess, because I, I think that's the best value for the Braves right now. I mean, if you look at the major league club, you got Freddie Freeman, who's going to be there forever. Ozzy Albee's going to be there for the next seven years or so. Uh, Dansby Swanson is probably the next guy who's we're going to think about doing an extension with at least third base. Well, let's skip that one. Uh, (laughs) Ronald Acuna, he's signed up for, for a while. The outfield looks like Pache and or waters or somebody else there. So you've got a team that's going to be in place for a number of years. We talk about the window being open for competing and contending for a world series. The window is open and it's going to be open for several years. Given what we see there and the fact that even the rotation is still young and 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 active and and productive, there's not a lot of room at the major league level for a lot of these guys. So you need to take what you've got at AAA and and use that to fill holes here and there. Fred's uh, choking on Pittsburgh and Colorado notwithstanding. Uh, there are opportunities out there to make these deals, and I, I think that's the best way to use these guys. In terms of star power, yeah, I I'm, guess I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, Jake. I think Pache is probably there because he's the toolsy guy. The one thing that's missing really is his bat 
if that it were to show up and it has in spurts if but if that were to show up even a little bit more i think he could be a star he doesn't have to to do much more than I've said this before. He doesn't have to do much more than in, enter NCR to already be ready to take over the major league center field position if if necessary. So I, if if Ender gets hurt, look out. It may be a Wally Pip situation for him. I think that's what separates Pache and Waters a little bit. Waters, I'm a, I probably I'm probably a little higher on Waters than most people, but I think Pache. Pache kind of went through that adjustment where he kind of turned his plate discipline issues around, and, and Waters hasn't hasn't done that yet. So if Pache can continue to to walk a little more and strike out a little less, which he started doing that last year, I think I think he's got the potential to be a superstar. Yeah, and something I, I failed to mention that I should point out: while I don't think this group has that potential superstar of the future, it, it's worth pointing out that in the last two years they promoted. Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Alves, and Mike Soroka, who are superstars, so are superstars in the making. So the Braves have promoted a, a lot of great players that have graduated from this list in the last couple of years. So, but Jake, you know, we're greedy. We're greedy. Right. We want more. <laughs> right. So I, I, I mean that, you know, it's not really fair to say that that this class isn't as as good uh, right now because all of them are, are at the major league level and obviously nobody's going to complain about that. So uh, Fred, I'll, I'll end it with you and kind of give you the same question, just your overall thoughts on, on the Braves farm system. Well, I, I sort of agree with, it's not a top, it's not a top five system. Now uh, I, it's, it's a depth system. There are players in there who are, go, who can be good players. Some of them will have everyday jobs. Some of them are going to be utility folks. I think Kyle Wright's kind of get Boswell if you look really at what he's had at the major leagues as a way of a chance, it isn't all that much. They were real heavy on Wilson when they brought him up. I think Wright's going to be good. I think I think he's going to be better this year. He's I think expect him to take a step forward. Now, if he's still in Atlanta and takes a step forward, I'd like that a lot. But I think he's going to be a better pitcher than because I see a lot of people write him off because he doesn't he doesn't throw smoke up there. He doesn't grunt and scream and and look at you like he's going to eat you up. He just goes out there and pitches every day like like that Wainwright guy we used to have. And he's got the same kind of stuff. He's got a fastball, nice little curve. He controls it. He puts it where he wants to. So I think Wright's going to take a step forward. Again, he's a two, maybe. Pache is the superstar of the bunch if there is one. Uh, um, other than that, there's a bunch of really good players in there. I kind of agree with you on the Kyle Wright thing. I'm actually one. I didn't love the Kyle Wright pick when it happened. Uh, he showed flashes, as as you mentioned too, in, at Vanderbilt of of being a potential ace one day. But he just had a lot of consistencies, even in his junior year at college. And he's kind of continued with some of those inconsistencies uh, in pro ball. Uh, but I, like you said, I'm not ready to give up on him. I still think he has a chance to be a top of the rotation pitcher. And he, and at the end of last year, he actually started to turn things around a little bit. So I, I think it could be a situation, like you say, where uh, he comes into 2020, new attitude, and uh, hopefully puts it all together. Yeah, um, his numbers his numbers are really misleading. You know, in terms. of he had such a really bad, poor start. So yeah, yeah. No, his his numbers at the beginning, both at the majors and in the minors, were were terrible. But uh, he he did turn around. If you look at his second half there in the minors, uh, he did start to to turn things around. So hopefully that continues into 2020. 
Uh, but that does it for uh, our discussion on the Braves prospects on this podcast. And Clint, I thank you so much for, for joining us and talking about this list. And uh, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work, because I, I see you're writing all over the place now. So uh, if you would, just go ahead and tell, tell everybody where they can follow and, and see your stuff. Yeah, on Twitter, um, I, uh, at Clint Mannery. And, um, of course, I cover prospects here at Tomahawk Take. I do a lot of freelancing, sportstalkatlanta.com. And uh, I do a little bit of writing at Call to the Pen, another fan-sided site. So, yeah, come check me out. And, Alan, if you want to, just go ahead, if you would, give them your handle as well, because I'm not going to try to say that out loud uh, where the people <laughs> can, can see you on Twitter. I admit I'm impressed that uh, people have found me given that uh, Carpingi is such a bizarre handle on Twitter. It's at C-A-R-P-E-N-G-U-I. Carpingi is the way I go with that. Kind of like a merge between carp and a penguin. And uh, Fred will wrap up with you if, if you want to get into good debates and conversations on Twitter. You're, you're really get great at responding, so tell the people where they can find you on Twitter. Well, I'm not. I'm not all that exciting. I'm at Fred Owens on at Freddie Owens on Twitter. My handle's at the top of the page. Uh, I appreciate all the followers out there. I don't need to get to follow all of them back because there are Twitter limits. But uh, I try to follow as many of them as I can. I just checked on right his last uh, his last 16 games of 3.4 ERA. So uh, that's not bad. So uh, again, appreciate everybody for for joining this week for our uh, prospect episode. Uh, please make sure you go out to tomahawktake.com to check out uh, everybody's work there. Um, we look forward to talking to you again next week. This 2020 edition of the Tomahawk Take podcast is a production of tomahawktake.com and Fansided LLC. Opinions expressed on the show today are strictly those of the participants. All rights reserved. Music today comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0 and features selections by Kevin McLeod entitled Open Those Bright Eyes Easy Lemon Fretless Batty McFadden and Break Time. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Thanks for listening, and may none of your prospects be suspects.